Hi, I'm Megan. I'm Colin, and this is Pet Sitter Sitter Confessional. Confessional. An open and honest discussion about life as a pet sitter. Brought to you by Time to Pet and Pet Sitters International. Back on episode 113, Megan and I had what we called the gig conversation after we read an article posted on sparkygo.com by Josh Shermer, where he interviewed several pet owners from across his area about what they viewed a pet sitter to be and their expectation of a pet sitter that was independent versus one that was listed on a large listing service. Josh joins us today to talk about that article, the kind of research that he put into it, and some of his major takeaways and how they're going to impact the industry moving forward. We also talk about what it means to be a leader in our businesses, how to stay streamlined and adaptive to things as the industry continues to change, and how we balance our desire to be in control versus our desire to be successful. Let's get started. Absolutely. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, I've sort of been engaged with animals my whole life. I, you know, starting as a kid, I started rescuing animals and um, I told you this story about this cat that was in this abandoned building across from my house. And all summer, my fourth grade year, I, I tried to rescue it and uh, finally rescued it. And like a week or two later, they blew up the building. And, you know, from that point on, I just sort of felt, you know, doing something with animals was my calling. So, you know, after college, I moved out to Los Angeles to live with my brother. and. Uh, I went up there to make a career in the film industry, hopefully. But instead of working on films, I kept rescuing animals. <laughs> and uh, that sort of became my full-time job. And I got a reputation. And and uh, then I decided to come back to New York. And I tried to get a job. I even offered my services for free to you know places like the Humane Society and ASPCA. But uh, I, I didn't hear back. So I started a pet service. And, uh, you know, my first customer was a cat, but within a few years, we grew to be one of the larger pet services in the country. And, uh, from there, uh, about five or 10 years after starting that, I started coaching people and I wrote a book on the industry and, uh, yeah, that's taken me to now where, you know, I'm starting Sparky Go, which is going to be sort of like a Yelp for the pet industry where, uh, pet businesses will be able to promote their services. Um, and all the specialties they offer. So, you know, I'm sort of a, I'm a lifer uh, in terms of working with animals. Yeah. And I definitely want to dive into Sparky Go here a little bit later. Um, you mentioned yeah. that you, you, you mentioned you grew your business um, to one of the yeah. largest in the country, but after mm-hmm. a while you kind of changed your mind about the philosophy of what a business should look like. So you, you changed the structure at one point. Why did you decide to yeah. do that? Uh, the big idea is that I, you know, I'd lost control at a certain point. It just, it got so large. It got so large that, you know, I wouldn't remember all the customers' names or dogs' names and, and it it just didn't feel right. And, you know, I had this mindset that no one else could do my job. And, you know, so I did the the job of 10 people when I should have been doing the job of, you know, like five people, as we say, you know, as (laughs) as an entrepreneur, you're always going to do more jobs than you should. Right. But yeah, I had a problem giving up control to someone to help me out. And it, it, it was overwhelming. I mean, uh, and so what happened around that time is I started studying to be a business coach, a personal coach. And I was taught this concept of coach approach leadership, which is you take the mindset of, of coaching, but you bring it to a workplace. And so instead of trying to create this company with employees, it it really changed to this idea where I was almost coaching people on the job. And let me tell you the good and bad of that. Like before I went to coaching school, I was sort of coaching people on the job, but I was coaching them to leave my business. So I was really interested in their career and I'd inspire them and we'd talk a lot, but it would lead to them leaving because... I'd inspire them to do something else. <laughs> so, I, you know, I remember one time leading up to New Year's, I gave out this survey, which was like really in depth. Like, you know, what's something you liked as a kid? What's something that you studied in college? What's something you've always wanted to do as a career? And three people, including my manager, who was about to start to take over for me, um, came to me 
literally within a few weeks of each other and said, I got to tell you, that survey really made me realize what I need to do with my life, but it was something else. (laughs) So, so two things came out of the coach approach leadership. One, I started hiring people who actually really were better fit for a career in the pet industry. Mm. So I could coach them authentically in the pet industry and, 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 you know, not feel like I'm trying to like, you know, push them into the industry. Um, And it's a beautiful thing. So I started coaching them. Uh, sort of mentoring them to become learn, you know, what I had learned and find ideas that they like. And, and we've created a lot of interesting businesses from it, you know, related to dog sports and dog grooming and dog training, like really interesting niches. So uh, it's, I'd say it's a, that's the big, that's the major difference. I went from workers and employees to an environment where I was almost their mentor more. It sounds like too that you looked at the people around you and saw where their strengths were, and then you know, yes. as you said, like coached them into this other stuff. So, how did that impact the the pet sitting business that you were running? Oh, uh, it's been amazing because part of what I'm saying, I think, is reflective of this idea in itself. Part of it, I think, is reflective of the next generation. The, the next generations. They, they they want more responsibility than I'd say my generation and before it did, or at least like they expect more responsibility. And while a lot of people in my generation see that as a bad thing, I see it as amazing. So in a sense, they're saying not even with more pay necessarily, they want to be a bigger part of things. And you give them more responsibility and they work harder and they do more work and they're happier. Like, How's that a bad thing? <laughs> like, you know, um, I think what it is, it's that fear of control, giving up control. And right. so that, that, that thing that led to my initial problem is now sort of like a muscle. It's, it's becoming stronger. It's becoming a strength of mine. And, um, and, you know, you're not worried about that as much. Well, I think part of that, too, is being okay and trusting people that they can handle that responsibility. Was that was that something that you mm-hmm. ever struggled with? Yeah, I, I, I'd say so. Um, there's there's the fear. There's there's a, there's a concern of safety, as we've discussed, in terms of you know, God forbid, a dog gets off leash or someone does something in someone's apartment. There's that, and then there's just. I think that's a big one for me, honestly. I think you know, my design is. Um, I have a strong danger awareness, I'll call it. I think a lot of the great pet professionals have danger awareness. Mm. And so it makes a great dog walker because you're really mindful of safety and, you know, things on the ground, other dogs, when you're going in and out of buildings, things like that. Um, I know when I say buildings to some of you who are listening, you're going into homes, individual single homes, but for others, you know, we're going into buildings where there might be 50 to 100 people living in the building. And, you know, there might be a dog in the elevator or a dog jump in the elevator with you. So there's a lot more action. What got you over that hump to start entrusting that, that people others could actually perform the duties that you were doing? Well, I, it's a great question. You know, I think there's a few things. One of them is I, I have always had this mindset that, you know, I, I do feel overall confident in the walkers I've hired and the sitters and the trainers in terms of the job they've done. Um, I've sort of embraced the fact that it this might always be hard for someone like me dealing with that. But I've also done everything possible to lessen the chance of something happening. Like, you know, we use we were very early, one of the earliest in terms of using rock climbing belts wearing them with like a carabiner attached to the dog. Um, we're really big on training the walkers, uh, the equipment, you know, they have to, they get tested on putting on the equipment. We have like a four week training program actually before we let someone completely on their own. So we put in policies and procedures, but part of it is it's sort of just coming to terms with the fact that it's a tough part of the job for someone who's safety minded, but it's sort of like using, they say every trait you have has two sides, a positive and a negative. So to me, it's using a positive side 
of my concern for safety um, by helping other people be more safe in general. So, you know, mm. it's it, we, we try and make it a benefit. Throughout 2020, um, many businesses actually ended up adding a lot of services or changing up the services that they did offer just to stay afloat and keep their businesses operational. Going through what you've gone in in expanding and then kind of changing how the business was structured, what advice would you give to those businesses um, so that they can stay streamlined and focused in their work? That's a great question. And I'll go back to... I I think there's a a similar theme of you have to not be so scared. So many pet businesses that start to grow become really scared of people robbing their clients of people robbing their ideas of, you know, that they can be destroyed, so to speak. And they spend a lot of time and energy concentrated on this. And what I've grown to just believe is if you concentrate, if you're always concentrating on your business in terms of making it better for your customers, making it better for your walkers, just trying to make the best business possible, nothing can ever destroy your company. Like you might have some bad things happen. You might have some clients stolen. You might have some people leave who, you know, you're not, you're not thrilled with. But people get really distracted with those type of concerns. And, you know, there's a quote that I've heard. I think it was Mark Cuban who said, uh, perfection is the enemy of progress. Hmm. And so if if you're looking for this perfect world, um, you know, I used to tell people who would help me manage my, my companies, you know, you have to find perfection in the imperfection. because. There's never going to be perfection in this industry. It's messy. There's human lives. There's traffic. There's animal lives. There's housing. There's landlords. There's people on the street. There's so many different things that can come up on a daily walk or a daily drive. And and we're in the middle of all of it, right? Like we are on the pavement. That's what our industry is. And you just have to grow to be able to roll with it, be the calm leader if you have people working for you. If not, you have to try and coach yourself to be calm mm. and uh, not not let the fear of anything destroying your company, you know, guide your decisions. If you just always keep moving forward and staying positive, you know, it, it doesn't guarantee bad things won't happen. It just, I think it guarantees you'll be a happier person and very likely more successful in your business. Do you think that fear comes from uh, a feeling of imposter syndrome or is that just purely out of an overabundance of caution? Because as you're talking, it's like, mm-hmm. I'm realizing as a business owner, like, you know, all of the the cracks in the foundation, you know, all of the stuff that you've had to stucco over to keep it up and moving. And so as you grow, mm-hmm. at, when you're at the top, I can, I'm sure it feels more like, you've built a house of cards as opposed to a, you know, something <laughs> a strong foundation. <laughs> I think it's really well said. I think when we start our businesses, there's more of a reckless, reckless abandon is not the right wording after I just complimented your wording. Oh. <laughs> um, but there's more of a freedom. I feel people fear. There's mm. a, there's a line in the movie wall street, the first one, the good one. And it says, uh, I never knew how poor I was till I made a little money. And I think that quote works really well in our industry where people don't feel necessarily like they have anything to protect until they create it. And that's what I'm saying is that, oh my God, the first few years of my business, the way I just kept going and going and nothing could stop me. And, you know, a lot of rough things happened, but I kept moving forward and forward and forward. Can I, can I tell you one of those things that happens, actually? What? Sure. Yeah. Um, I had this really uh, pretty famous customer. And they were a huge customer. It was, I think it was almost $2,000 a week. That's wow. how much they, we did. And I'm talking beginning of the day, multiple times during the day and at night, seven days a week. Mm. And um, they started to not pay. They started to go on vacation. And the next thing I know, the bill ran up to almost $8,000. And I had paid 
uh, I had done part of the service and I'd had a walker do part of the service. So I paid that walker probably two or three thousand dollars out of pocket. And so that money was gone. So basically, you know, we they end, instead of paying the bill, they ended service. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm not going to ever get that money. I've just paid out a few thousand dollars. Out of pocket. And this is early in my business. So that few thousand dollars out of pocket was like everything I had. Yeah. And I can't even tell you the depression I started to feel because, you know, I was feeling great. Like business is going great and all this money. And then all of a sudden it's like, I'm broke and I just felt terrible. Mm. And so in the midst of that anxiety, I remember waking up one morning and I was like in a blaze of depression and I had these huge garbage bags full of gift bags that I used to go out and give people in targeted marketing. And I went to the dog room and I just start walking up to people and I'm giving out the bags and, you know, talking to people and everything's going on. This woman I knew, she came over and she says, Oh my God, you're so good with, you know, doing this and so good with people. And I'm just sitting there like, are you kidding me? Like, how can I come off good? I'm so depressed. Mm. And, um, a few weeks later, uh, I can't get into it too much, but I was able to get the money and I got it all in one check. So it was the most money I ever received in one check in my life. And I took that money and I immediately got back then credit cards was not that common. And so I got a credit card machine. I invested a ton in marketing, uh, other investments in the company. And that's when we took off. That's when we blew up. Mm. So, um, you know, that's just one example, right? Like, you know, like some really hard stuff to build my business. And so my point is, is that when you get really large, it's that quote from Wall Street a little bit again. I never knew how poor was, so I had a little money. Then you start to defend what you have, uh, sometimes more than continuing to innovate and to grow. And so for a while, I got lost. And, you know, I feel great because I got back on track. But I really try and help people not get lost. You know, usually there's a lot of people in our industry who suffer from burnout. And I've explained my own burnout. So it's it's personal to me. Like, uh, you know, I, I really try and help people. But that that topic of control and giving up control, it's it's a tough one for people to embrace because this quote's going to hit home for some of us. Um, and I've even said it to people who worked for me before in this program. I've said, I think you'd rather be in control than be successful. Mm. And I think there's a lot of people who would rather be in control, even if it meant they're not successful. Have you heard about Time to Pet? Claire from Acton Critter Sitters has this to say. Time to Pet has honestly revolutionized how we do business. My sitters can work much more independently because they have ongoing access to customer and pet information without relying on me. I save hours upon hours of administrative time on billing, processing payments, and generating paychecks. If you are looking for a new pet sitting software for your business, give Time to Pet a try. As a listener of Pet Sitter Confessional, you'll get 50% off your first three months when you sign up at timetopet.com slash confessional. How do you see that manifesting in, in a business owner as they're, as they're growing and operating? How do you walk that, that balance between being in control versus being successful? That is the big question. I mean, did you used to watch Kitchen Nightmares? Yes. Yeah, those are <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the running theme, isn't it? Is that people will literally something's not hasn't been working for like seven, ten years. Mm. They're put they're like hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. One of the greatest chefs, you know, most successful chefs in the world comes in and they they still some of them won't bend. They're like, no, I, I gotta keep my last seven customers instead of getting 50 new ones, you know? Mm. And I, I honestly think this is a heavy issue for a lot of people. I think that, you know, all any of us who have control issues, which is the majority of people, we have it for different reasons. Usually something in our childhood, you know, how we were raised, something in school, you know, a, a tragedy, trauma, what, what have you. We all have our reasons. And... Then it comes down to how much do we work on it, you know, to get better at it. But, you know, you asked 
a specific question about how it manifests in the businesses. And, you know, I think there's the topic of the big one is if you involve other people in your business, that is the biggest test for someone in terms of control is you start out as an individual dog walker, pet sitter, dog trainer, whatever it is. And the brand is you. Some people even sometimes call the brand after their name. Mm. And then you're going to bring in other people who are going to represent you. And it can be really scary. And sometimes we can be horrible managers because we, we, you know, we haven't learned to trust yet. And I think people who have major issues with that have to figure out if they can work on it and even be upfront with the person who's working with them that, you know, that they need to work on it. Um, or there's some people who maybe would be better off not hiring people, to be honest. There's people who would be better off finding a way to increase how much they can make themselves. But, you know, I, I think what you have to do is, is that concept that, the, you know, per- perfection is the enemy of progress. So in the pet industry, to grow, there's going to be some mistakes that happen. And sometimes what happens is the moment there's a mistake, we go, oh, see, I knew it. I knew it. It doesn't work. And we run back and we forget. It. <laughs> but instead of going, okay, let me look at this. Let me examine the issue. Try and find a, you know, a solution. And keep moving forward. Now, I'm going to balance what I'm saying out with safety. I do think that safety has to be highly serious in our businesses, you know, with the pets. And, you know, you have to have people knowledgeable of pets working with you. But the other stuff, you know, making a mistake, making a billing mistake, you know, forgetting to do something in a client's home that's not safety-oriented especially. Um, I think we have to give someone the chance to grow and improve. And, you know, often, often people who complain about the people who work for them are, you know, are, are sometimes hiring the wrong people. They're not putting enough time into who they hire. So before I go into too many topics, <laughs> that's my answer. <laughs> no, you're, you ask good questions. So. Oh, you're good. You're good. No, I, I, I appreciate that because, you know, you mentioned, you know, giving, giving people permission to grow and improve. And I think that that yeah. first starts with ourselves um, as, mm. as business owners, you know, we start out solopreneurs, we start out by ourselves and we get these things in operation and how we operate, um, but giving ourselves permission to change and adapt over time. So we let go of that control, that perceived control that we thought we had, opening ourselves up to new opportunities. And And I think 2020 kind of forced our hands, a lot of our hands in that, where we had to immediately mm. let go of control because it was yeah. taken from us, right? And and then we had to start, <laughs> then we had to start looking for, for other opportunities. Yeah, I'm so prone to start asking questions myself because I'm a coach. Oh, sure. <laughs> so I'm trying not to interview you. <laughs> oh, it's okay. <laughs> I was just going to ask you, what, what type of changes do you find that you've made or were forced to make? Well, so one of some things that we we had to do was we had to change a lot about our booking process because we were still doing a lot, most of it manually. And the behavior mm-hmm. of our clients changed to where it was a lot of expectations for immediate access or, or on the spot booking preferences for them. And so I know that was something that we had kind of resisted because we liked the personal touch. We liked the process that that had in it, but that stopped working because of the expectations of the clients. So we did have to, to shift and start offering a different way to book and actually a different way to access and contact us when the, when the clients were ready for their service. And would you say that it's actually improved things? Yeah, yeah, it is. (laughs) It has. (laughs) That's the funny thing, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and and, and who knows how much longer it would have taken to get to that point had 2020 not happened, right? (laughs) Yes. Well, that's something I think we discussed was um, the pandemic has sped up 
certain industry changes and, you know, technological changes somewhere in the realm of three to five years. Yeah. Like pushed it ahead where it's happening now. Yeah. It has. And so, I think, yeah. Yeah. sorry, go ahead. No, please. I got you. Oh no. I was just thinking about, you know, when we think back to the, some of the biggest changes to the industry from 2020, I mean, that's, yeah. that's got to rank up there with some of the, the major impacts was just technologically oh, yeah. bringing and enforcing right. a whole bunch of the crowd forward. Yeah. It, it, and that's a good thing. Like, you know, in the same way you're noticing some of the benefits of it, I, I think it certainly is a good thing. Um, you know, just in terms of credit cards as well, there's so much data that shows that people spend more on credit cards than other forms of payment. So, you know, that in itself is good. Um, this is interesting because in terms of this topic, I think I had thought about the things that had gone <laughs> become more difficult. Oh. In, in terms of the industry this year, but I'm, you're, you're making me happy to hear uh, a good side of it as well. Have you seen, in terms of, of businesses you talk to, have you seen other changes, you know, with them maybe becoming more, you know, like hustling more and trying to become more resourceful with everything going on? I would say yes. I would say that um, for who we talk to and kind of who we stay in touch with, that 2020 really broke the mold for what they thought their business was going to be. And it was kind of like this, you know, however many stages of grief owners had to go through to note to say, the business I thought I was going to have in 2020 is no longer existing. I accept that. And now I have to seize the opportunities that I can while they're available to me. And so it was, a, you know, it was kind of this, this little mind shift that happened throughout the year. It's interesting because it almost feels like we're circling back to the discussion of when someone first starts and how they sort of just go for it a little bit more. Oh yeah. Um, you know, there could be a little bit of that uh, with companies. Yeah, I think I think absolutely that again when you know you almost had to act like it was your first day on the job because especially for the businesses who lost 100% of their existing clients, right? They had no no new bookings and they had no reoccurring yeah, you're bookings. You're speaking to one of them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay, yeah. So, you yeah. It, you know, it was like, okay, I have zero just like I did on day 1 when I started 5, 10, 20 years ago. What do I do? Right given everything that's going on? Well, I'll tell you, in terms of our side, the service that has really blown up for us has been dog training. And, you know, that is partly where I'm located and a lot because of the pandemic, because everyone went and got a dog. You know, when they say the shelters are empty, they were really being serious. And so there's a lot of people who need dog training. and. Here's the amazing thing. I talked to a lot of dog trainers and many of them are saying that dog training is better virtually because the customers have to do the homework. <laughs> and, and often there's people who hire a dog trainer and they're like, yeah, yeah, they'll figure it out. And, you know, then they slack on the homework. But in this environment, they have to do the homework and they're seeing great. I mean, there's some trainers who I've heard they really want to stick to this, you know, forever. So I think that, that that's another example maybe of, of an improvement. Um, you know, something we've learned during this time. Well, one thing that you did a little while ago at this point was you kind of cold called or got in contact with a lot of pet owners um, and who had used services like Rover and WAG. And, and you would ask them mm-hmm. about some differences or what they thought of what a pet sitter was. And so I'd like for you to talk about that article and the, the process that you put in behind that. And I guess give us a definition of, of what would you say uh, uh, clients or you know, pet owners, how would they describe what a pet sitter is in 2021? It was, an interesting, it was an interesting experience, to say the least. I did some of the interviews live on my Facebook page, and I'd be looking down at the comments, and people would be like, oh my God, I can't believe with the rover, you know, so just to be specific, what I did is I solicited a hundred rover pet parents, 
people who use Rover, their own pets. And I did uh, interviews with them. And I would ask them things related to uh, what do you see the benefit of Rover over the term I use, let's say, you know, you were saying pets are, I, I call it independent pet, pet businesses. That's sort of the comparison I've used to Rover Whack. Hmm. And you know, they would talk about things like they believed a rover walker was insured, but they weren't so sure about an independent. And they would say that um, they love the rover app, they love doing business on it, they trust it, and they trust that the people on it, they sort of associate quality um, service with people on the platform. So the platform itself is carrying a lot of weight for these people. And in terms of our industry, the rover parents saw us as more, you know, the Wild West, like not really um, under any supervision, not necessarily insured, and not seeing the benefit of our industry over there in terms of quality of service. Mm. So I, 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 it took a lot of patience and meditation through the conversations for me not to be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> um, but the truth is, is that um, this is the mindset of a lot of pet parents. And, you know, a lot of them, they just want their dog to have their chest rubbed and they think everything's fine. And, and um, obviously, people, you know, we see a big difference between the independent market and the rover lag. And to answer your question about that, to me in general, I see an independent pet professional or pet business as someone who on the, on the whole is usually more serious about the job. They, they're very likely doing it full time. They get seen a lot in the neighborhood. They get known. People know their face. If they do something really stupid with a dog, it gets noticed. Someone knows who they are. Um, the problem I have with these apps is that on top of the fact that a lot of the people are not very well prepared to do the job, um, they don't get known. They don't do the job consistently. And so when bad things happen, it, it's not picked up on the same way. There's not patterns of consistency. And, you know, if you work, if, you, if you're a customer and you hire an independent pet service, like yours and mine, um, there can be a lot of benefits there where you have the supervision of an owner, the philosophies of an owner. Um, you might have a manager in the company. You might have multiple walkers who, you know, there's peer expectations. You know, if, if, if a walker sees another guy in the company doing a really bad job, he might speak up about it. These things matter. And I'm not sitting here saying that our industry is perfect. I think it's far from perfect. I just think that the chance of serious a serious pet professional coming out of our industry is much higher than, you know, the the app ecosystems. I think the app ecosystems are more um, like a someone who wants to make some money on the side, do it once in a while. It's sort of like an Airbnb or Uber for dogs. And so I'm not speaking down on those people. I'm not speaking down on the platforms, but you know, some of these platforms are looking to start dog training and um, you know, you just can't compare the history of knowledge and seriousness um, between the industries. And the last thing I'll just say is that, Rover and Wagwalkers are independent contractors. And so the apps legally try and have a standoff approach in terms of how they do the job. Now, even if you have a contractor at a pet service, a pet service can have a point of view about how they work with pets. Um, you know, they can invite people to take classes and, you know, they can motivate people to, to expand their knowledge. And um, that's a big difference to me. So you know, to me, there's a reason dog trainers usually come from the dog walking world. And it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of serious people doing it, but we also have to improve our industry, but that's the difference I see between the two. It is jarring to hear that the clients, yes. that the customers have these perspectives. So 
in yeah. your mind, you know, you mentioned that they were kind of putting it, the, the app was pulling a lot of the weight here. Do you think that these right. views have arisen because of the, just the pure superiority of the app? Or are there messaging problems within the pet care industry at large? Well, that's a great question as well. Let me soak it in for a second here. Um, I do think it's a bit of both. I think that when you find an app that you use a lot, if it works well, and your dog appears happy, and you're getting pictures, and you know the the the, the expectation for quality care is not that high. I find you send pictures, you send feedback. Um, you know the discussion is not about uh, someone noticing that a dog had blood in its stool or swallowed something. You know, it's not about safety and things like that. So, um, our industry definitely, I feel, has been sensationalized in the papers. When something happens, it's a really big story. Um, That has now become Rover and Wag. Rover and Wag have had a lot of bad press. Um, But before them, uh, the newspapers would sensationalize a story, and customers. Definitely. I think they were worried about that. They are worried about that. And there's something about an app that I think can um, calm people's fears. You know, there's apps I use like Craigslist and um, some others where there's been some bad stuff on those platforms. (laughs) But, you know, I have a connection to them. So, yeah, I, I do think it's a bit of both. You mentioned that the expectations of service are pretty are pretty low already. So, how does that impact the the purchasing intent of the client when they go to compare these different offerings for for care for their pet? That's right. That's the thing is that I think they start to live on the app. The app becomes the ecosystem, mm. and of course, these these apps are in a in a race to um, increase their offerings. To you know, they've started to offer cat sitting. I know dog trainings on in the future. Um, you know, these type of businesses are you know, there's Banfield that does vets. There are large corporations that you know they're trying to create their own ecosystem. So in a sense, you know, Rover or Wag, it's like you know they want to become their own little Google for a a pet parent, and that locks our type of business out. Um, and that's the thing is when someone gets in that ecosystem and they want to search, um, they appear to be searching on Google less. Mm. So, you know, there's less of a chance they're going to find us. And obviously, you know, we don't have the marketing budgets, um, that they do. Not all doom and gloom. This is part of the reason I created Sparky Go is actually (laughs) to have a platform that represents independent pet businesses and the way we operate. Yeah, so I was going to say, you know, let's go ahead and dive right in because we're kind of leading there. Um, so, yeah, h- how did Sparky Go come about? Well, it's it's a good lead-in because a lot of it is reflected of, of what we just discussed, which is I I've seen all these apps popping up, and you know, I'm in New York City, where New York City is such a large pet market that we have our own mini Rover and Wags just here in New York City that only operate here that are like VC backed and you know, the thing I find, I, I, I don't, you know, I I don't look to hate on anyone, but when I look at a lot of these companies, what I find interesting, if you go to the LinkedIn profiles, is you'll find 150 extremely accomplished software people. But what you won't find are the best trainers in the world, the best dog pet equipment people in the world, you know, the greatest thinkers to sort of like improve the, the dog's life. And, um, you know, that bothers me because they have a lot of money to play with. And I want that money to play with. I, I, I want a QR version of uh, Rover and Wag. Hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I, I would say that to me, I felt I saw the tea leaves pretty early, you know, over 10 years ago. I started to see some of these changes um, moving away from independent pet businesses 
And, you know, a story that stands out for me is, you know, I, I told you about how my, uh, one of my pets had died. And like many of us, I was literally like a zombie for a few weeks and just sitting in bed. And, you know, my wife took me outside for a walk and we went for a walk and I'm sitting on a corner and I look across the street and I see this um, dog walker, you know, walk up to the curb and in New York city, we have very busy curbs and, um, you know, she stayed back from the curb and she put the dog in a sit stay and everything was just so fluid and the dog was smiling and she, you know, she put up her hand and then the light changed. She gave the dog a treat as they started walking and they were smiling at each other. And I'm like, I just saw that. So I know that that's a good dog walker, but the pet parent doesn't get to see that. The pet parent is making their decision on what quality services from pictures, from notes, you know, very little of it is based on what they see with the person actually doing the job. And even if they did see someone doing the job, many people wouldn't understand the difference between that walker and say someone who really doesn't know what they're doing. Mm. So, you know, the platform is meant to, yes, hopefully put a bigger spotlight on those who are awesome. And then to help out the next group of people who are looking to get in the industry to go a better direction, to go a, a direction, you know, maybe toward more the mind of a dog trainer, you know, and things like that. And, and let me rephrase that. I don't mean a better direction. It's just, you know, the direction I think leads to better care myself. The one other reason, big reason why I created Sparky Go is I, I'm really interested in sort of indexes and directories that take locations and and services and products and makes them easy to find. And so Yelp and Google are the two main ones for our industry for like putting your business up and getting reviews. But, you know, in many ways, I feel like they have failed our industry in terms of many industries, but, you know, it, it's like one size fits all. And they're not designed for the realities of the pet professional or the pet parent. Hmm. And, you know, like Yelp, it was designed around the idea that everybody had like a commercial space, like they had an office. Yeah. You know, a pet professional might work in 15 neighborhoods or something. And so Sparky Go will allow you to rank highly in all those different neighborhoods. Um, Sparky Go will also put a big emphasis on specialties. So, you know, Sure, there's dog walkers, pet sitters, dog trainers. There's all different types of pet professionals, but there's also specialists within those. There's dog walkers who are better for senior dogs. There are dog walkers who can administer medicine. You know, I can just go on and on. I mean, for each type of pet profession, we probably have 30, 40, 50 service pages, niches for each of those that someone can find someone by. So um, you're never going to find that in Yelp and Google. Right. I mean, it's not a niche service-based, specialty-based search. Well, yeah, I think that that addresses several problems that are faced. Um, you know, you mentioned you know, things like service area and these specialized care. Uh, because if we mm -hmm. are, if we're trying to compete with um, the the SEO, the marketing, the these other kind of campaigns, you know, you you do need to be able to be surfaced easily for the right services that you're going to be providing. Yeah. You just said a mouthful, which is the SEO, the local SEO, you know, competing with the marketing of these apps. Here's the thing. If our industry is united and, you know, partly united on Sparky Go, also united in other places, but if they're united in Sparky Go for what they offer, where they offer it, things like that, the ability to be contacted, there is the possibility, the strong possibility that Sparky Go could rank higher than the Rover and the Yelps. And by using the exact same techniques they do. But right now, what people are doing is they are promoting their, their Yelp pages, but most people in our industry hate Yelp. <laughs> <laughs> yes. you know, they, they, yeah. They don't even want to go to their pages. They're scared of reading the reviews. They send people to put reviews. They don't always get on the page. You know, the review structure is going to be very important on our platform 
in terms of trying to make it really fair for the pet professional. Mm. You know, I think it's something that however it starts on our platform is going to change through the feedback from the pet professionals. Um, you know, I want to mention one other thing, which is Sparky Go is going to put a big emphasis on referral partners, people in your area who offer non-competing services who you can, you're going to have a bookmarking page so you can easily bookmark other people on Sparky Go. You're going to have your own bookmarking page and it's going to be a really nice way to try and keep people in this circle, to try and make sure they don't leave for one of those other ecosystems we talked about. Um, whether it's a vet in a different neighborhood or an animal rescue or a dog board or whatever it is, um, you're going to have this little nucleus. And who knows, there's a chance in the future if people want it, we might even be able to monetize uh, the referral process. But most importantly, um, people like to refer and it's, it's going to make it much easier to do. I like that idea, again, of, of looking across the industry and trying to raise everybody up around us because that's going to highlight yeah. the, the best of the best. That's going to highlight the people and the passion that they have behind them and start putting forward mm-hmm. these, this unified message um, as an industry. Yeah. It, it's going to be hard. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's going to take, it, take a lot of work. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I don't think our industry is used to working together. Right. And, you know, maybe the pandemic, the time is ripe where, you know, people will both need and, and maybe want the help of others, accepting the help of others, which, uh, you know, just to bring back the whole control thing, I, I think actually an interesting thing with control is accepting help and not being too prideful. and. Um, Sparky Go, uh, let alone we can help you. It's all free. And see, the thing about it is I'm really good at local SEO. And your profile page on Sparky Go will be completely designed for local SEO. Hmm. So I'd say there's a good chance that people will be able to get more customers and rank higher on Sparky Go than they will with their own website. There's a lot of opportunities there. Have you ever wondered how joining Pet Sitters International could benefit your business? Imagine you have a business situation you're not sure how to handle. Maybe you need to figure out how to communicate a price increase to your clients, or you have a staff sitter who's providing subpar service. Perhaps you have a question about a pet's unusual behavior, or you're exploring whether you should earn a pet sitter certification. Then imagine you know exactly where to turn to access these answers and resources you need, all in one place. That's only the start of what a PSI membership can do for you. With a free monthly member toolkit, monthly bonus resources, online trainings, a private member Facebook group, and more, combined with group rates on insurance and background checks, PSI is our one-stop shop for everything you need for your pet sitting or dog walking business. Visit PetSit.com slash PSC to learn more. Our listeners can save $15 off your first year membership by using the promo code PSC15 at checkout. Tell me what you think as well. I mean, there will be normalization in some areas, but I also think in some areas like New York City, certain things are going to be changed forever. That doesn't mean they're gone. That doesn't mean you can't operate. It just, I think in some areas, things are changed forever in terms of the service industry. I, I agree. I think a lot of that. Um, you know, as you said, services that you know haven't been wiped off entirely, maybe have have reduced or maybe needing reframed in how we're messaging to them. I know for for us, mm-hmm. we've had we've had clients that you know for years and years they were just fine with their dogs, and the number of times I've heard them talk about how they were so tired of their dogs around them and just needed a break. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, oh, you know. <laughs> you know, you, you asked them two years ago or at the beginning of last year, they would have been like, oh, I love my dogs. I want them around me all the time. And now they're like, can you just can you take them for a little longer? Just a little longer, please. <laughs> it's this. <laughs> You're talking to the parent of two kids. Yeah. <laughs> same. Same. I told them last night, I said, I said, uh, your parents, you know, I, I told them we're not men spend 24 hours a day together for a year and a half. So 
this has not been a normal situation. So yeah. if you've had a few extra arguments or you feel weird sometimes, it's understandable. This is not a normal situation. Right. <laughs> but yeah. but I think I think that speaks to just how we how we message our services to meet those clients' needs, mm. right? Like how we how we we talked about this a little bit earlier, our, doing our part to think for the customers, to think for the clients, and to to really see where that help is needed to solve those problems for them, because they still have things that need solved. They still have services. They just you know need to have the right phrasing to cue them into exactly how you're going to help them with that. Yeah, that's well said. I mean, do you offer flexible scheduling? Like, are you used to flexible scheduling? Is that your main type of service? Yeah, we we have been pretty flexible in times past, too. Um, that was something that we kind of kept standard to, to some extent. Um, you know, we've been a little bit we'll be more flexible going into or through last year just because, you know, we realized the behavior of a lot of our clients were they were going to wait until Thursday at 3 p.m., to decide if they were going to be leaving at Friday at 8 or 9 a.m. in the morning uh, because of all of the travel restrictions and changing and, you know, flight cancellations were way through the roof because of, uh, you know, rerouting people through uh, cities. So we we recognized that and just said, you know what, it's fine. That's smart. Yeah. Yeah. I think flexible scheduling. It's everything we're saying is is sort of resorting back to when we all first started. It's. Uh, sort of anytime, any place, a little bit till till things stabilize. You know, thinking thinking towards the future here, what what is what's some advice or recommendations you would give to for for long term, you know, at this point I think it's still safe to say, you know, long term survival in the industry. Yes. Well, I think it's going to encompass a few things we've discussed today, which you know, one of the big things I tell people is to increase how much money you make yourself. The, the, I say the worst day for pet professionals when they stop working with animals themselves. That's the most fun. But you also don't have to share that money with anybody else. And so if you can, you know, try and increase how much you make. That might be, you know, if you can offer a premium service like dog training or dog grooming, like. Learning a premium service can increase, you know, you can make in one hour what you make usually in two or three hours. So um, looking at premium services is definitely uh, one thing I recommend to people. Um, if you do have people who work for you, uh, it, it's, I go back to the idea of empowering them. Um, when you make them feel like there's a, uh, there's no ceiling in terms of how much they can learn, how much they can grow, and how much they can make. Um, you get more out of people, and you get happier people. And again, I find, and I think a lot of people do, that young people today, they almost demand this, and they won't stick around if they can't get these things. So, um, But that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Um, but with that, again, comes back to this thing of don't be scared about the ramifications of you know, oh, if I teach this person, you know, what if they rob from me or steal from me? You know, staying focused on your company, and um, you know, I think in the end, everything should work out if you stay focused on your company and um, your customers. But the big ones, I would say, are. The, the premium services, that's really the main thing I would say to someone is increase how much you make yourself and concentrate on premium services because as they've proven, um, you know, those services have continued, continued to thrive even during the pandemic. I did want to touch on the training aspect because you've mentioned that several times now. So what kind of recommendations or advice would you give to someone listening who wants to learn more about being a trainer or actually become a certified trainer? Definitely. Um, I'm going to preface this by saying I'm not a trainer. So the advice I'm giving is really a collection from people who are really smart people in the dog training community. Hmm. And it, it just does seem like you need to find a reputable program. 
Um, I used to think that, you know, maybe people could find some good books and take some online courses, but a, a reputable online program. And uh, we're going to have a resource page at Sparky Go that's going to have things like this, sort of like a roadmap laid out. And that's going to be from the advice of really top people in the industry. Um, and after you go to a school, uh, it's sort of part of going to school. They set you up with a dog trainer to apprentice with. So, you know, go to a program, take the program. It might be something you have to pay off over a few years, but when you compare the price of a dog training program to going to college, um, it's, it's really not that expensive. I mean, when you hear, you know, five, seven, ten thousand dollars $10,000, it does, that's a lot of money. I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying it's not, but if you can spread out the payments over a few years um, and you're committed to it, I really think it's a good investment. Um, while you're apprenticing or even after you apprentice, you know, it's pretty rare that a dog trainer doesn't dog walk or pet sit or both. So it's a great way to start to, you know, gradually um, involve your training uh, with, with pets and getting to know customers. And um, yeah, that's, that's really the, the route I would recommend that the program and the apprenticeship just seem like absolute must. Second that to the nth degree, um, I, I think it's a great way yeah. to, to to start adding bundles or adding these pre- more premium services and just you know raise prices across the board because now you are a trainer and you can integrate it into everything you do and all the services that you provide and it just kind of again just raises everything up a couple notches. Exactly, and I mean your your pet service becomes a petri dish right. of dog issues. You know, both in terms of, yes, there's a lot of profit potential, but there's, you know, in the beginning as a trainer, um, you want as many varied situations as you can to grow, right? To be able to learn to deal with anything. And, um, or at least to start to figure out which, you know, you might start to decide you don't want to work with aggressive dogs. You know, that, that, that experience will help you. I mean, in terms of being a dog trainer as well, as you know, dog walking and pets, the pet sitting world. Um, you can approach other dog walking and pet sitting companies and offer your services to them for, for dogs within the company. I mean, as we all know, mm. th- you know, you're at threat of losing a dog if it has issues on the walk, if you can't get it outside, if it has anxiety, stress, if it has aggression. These are all things that sometimes lead to, God forbid, the, the owner gives up the dog, but sometimes other situations, you know, they go with a walk and train service or they go with a daycare boarding, which is not the solution, but, um, for that. And, you know, dog training, dog trainers and dog walkers, pet sitters, daycare boarding. That relationship to me is the most underutilized relationship in the pet service industry. Mm. Every single pet service of any type should, if not have their own dog trainer, have strong relationships with dog trainers there's there's just such an opportunity for benefiting the pets and uh referral you know for for both sides to profit it's just it's a slam dunk josh i really appreciate you coming on the show today and i'm so thankful for our conversation regarding coming together as an industry uh to to raise the boat of everybody and and our discussion around changing clients purchasing intent and behavior as you know changes continue to happen to the industry. But I know we talked about an awful lot and there's still so much more to all of this. Um, so yeah. um, how can people check out Sparky Go and how can people get in touch with you and pick your brain on more of this? Yeah. Thanks for asking. Thanks for the great conversation. Uh, very, you piqued a lot of ideas I hadn't even thought about um, before today. Um, the best place to go is sparkygo.com. On the homepage, there's a link where you can sign up to be alerted when we launch. Uh, please do that. And there's also a blog that's presently there, and there's a contact page. If you want to reach out to me, please do. I'm always happy to answer questions. I also help people with uh, SEO and marketing, and, um, you know, so I'd love to speak. Awesome. Josh, again, thank you so much. It was a real pleasure. Me too. Yeah, thanks so much. There's certainly a lot to unpack from my conversation with Josh. But to me, the biggest takeaway is the consistently changing client expectations and purchasing intent of our clients and customers. 
What this means is as we move through 2021, we'll have to be really sensitive to how people are changing their habits and how we can best adapt to that, how we can start using better language to speak to their needs and how we can help solve that. It means that we as an industry have to come together if we want to see lasting positive changes and influences for everybody. Normalization of behaviors and expectations happen quickly when the majority of people are after something. That also means that when the industry is working together and everybody's on the same page, we can elicit some really awesome positive changes for everybody moving forward. I want to thank our sponsors, Timed Pet and Pet Sitters International, for making today's show possible. And we would absolutely love to hear how you have experienced changing client expectations and about how you've had to streamline or stay adaptive and stay in tune with the needs of your customers. Thank you so much for listening this week. We'll be back again soon.